on Radio Free Brooklyn. Good morning and welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Um, welcome to this uh, Monday morning. Um, I'm here with Claire. Uh, welcome, Claire. Hi. I'm going to give you a brief intro. Uh, Claire Duran Gasselin mm-hmm. is a French-born writer, w- visual artist, and book designer living in New York City. She studied contemporary arts and science of arts at uh, La Sorbonne University and NYU. Besides her artistic practice, she's also a French teacher and the artistic director of Mad Gleam Press. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very so why don't, we, why don't we start the conversation off with a little bit about Mad Gleam Press and uh, your involvement uh, and, and what's it about and all this kind of stuff. Sure. So Yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, Magdalene Press was created in 2016. Um, so it's a small independent press uh, that uh, I'm working on with my, my husband, Brian Sheffield, and our friend, Craig Kite. And uh, we also had somebody uh, to work with us in Paris, Margot. And so it's uh, uh, the idea was to uh, use my French visual art background or French visual art background and the writing and American background from uh, Brian and Craig to kind of create a conversation between visual art and writings. So it all started up with um, with the magazine Post Blank. That was kind of like an idea that we all wanted to do for a long time, uh, which was kind of created around this idea of coherent eclecticism, which is like this idea that you take a lot of different kind of things and together they create a coherence around the theme. So I guess it's postmodern if you mm. want to see it that way. Uh, some people will say metamodern or any kind of word. I just It's just the kind of stuff I'm drawn to. Um, and so, yeah, so we publish different kinds of writing in a magazine, like poetry and stories and articles and nonfiction and some visual art and some word art pieces. And we're all about really like the, um, yeah, the conversation between all kinds of creations um, and especially at first we were a lot about the conversation between France and the U S uh, it's been a little challenging because we're mainly in New York and so New York is so rich. So we have so much inspiration and, uh, and for me, like I really discovered like a lot of stuff, especially around writing because writing is not really seen as the same thing in France. It's more, um, I don't know. It's not as much of a craft, I guess. It's like the kind of stuff that you just know how to do or not know how to do, but uh, when I met my husband and he told me he was a poet, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, it's not, is that a, is that a job? Like, can yeah. you, can you, can you call yourself a poet? And so I got introduced to this whole literary world and the freedom that comes of it also, like, I think the language also plays into that. So, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's very fluid. That's what I'm saying. It's like mm. the, the, the project started as something and it kind of also evolved into like performances. Um, we, we shared, uh, spaces with Gemba Forest. Who's this, it's like this great community that's based in Greenpoint that's run by Christoph Carr and Melissa Hunter-Gurney, who are two of the most amazing human beings I ever met. Um, and they really create like a, an amazing community around music and writing and art and all kinds of creation. And, uh, and uh, they really try to gather like great minds and people who are really open and want to and want to um, reach to people that they're not used to reach to. Um, so it's like a really, really safe space. So we had 
we shared a space with them in, in Greenpoint for a year, which was great. But it's New York, so I've, everything changes all the time. So we don't have the space anymore. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we published, after the magazine, we published three books. Um, it was very interesting going through the whole process of, so I'm the artistic designer of the project. So it was a lot about thinking about the design of the book and making books that are a little more than just books. Let me just ask you, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, post-blank. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that particular okay. aspect of Magdalene Press. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's actually <laughs> my favorite thing that we're doing because it's really, so it's a, it's a magazine where we call it a magazine. Some people will call it what we call a MOOC because it's kind of a book and a mm. magazine at the same time. Um, it's pretty thick. Uh, so it has a different theme every time. And basically what we do is we fill up the blank in the title with a different word. So the first one was post-paper, then we had post-mortem, then post-porn, which was, of course, the one that sold the most because sex sells, as you say. Huh? Mm. Uh, and the last one that we're actually uh, like finishing right now is post-stranger. Uh, so we're probably going to have a release like towards the end of the summer. And, uh, and yeah, we're very, very excited. And it's a, it's, a, it's a very great project. For me, it really embodies what Magdalene Press is about. It's about like diversity of voices and styles and, and, and crafts, trying to find some kind of unity around the same theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a lot of time it's very unexpected because people are going to send us pieces that may not fit exactly the theme, but then they're going to go into a dialogue with another piece and then something's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we were talking a little bit about, you know, visual art and, and the influence it's had on you. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what kinds of art or let's go into like, you know, you were mentioning some of the schools and such. And uh, sometimes that can be kind of, you know, especially since we're living in a period where we're kind of trying to figure out, you know, a lot of people throw on a lot of different labels on, mm-hmm. on where art or where the artistic world is going. Mm-hmm. So what is your what would you say is your take on um kind of where we're going or, or where we've been and, and how we can inform uh, where the artistic world is going now. Um, I, have the feeling, I have the feeling that, like in any other thing, but maybe even more in art, we need to be radical. So mm. we kind of have to fight commodification in a big way. Yeah. Um, I studied visual art and I kind of like intended to become a visual artist at first and so coming to New York is kind of like the dream, you know, like you, you see all those galleries and all those people like kind of like not making a living, but still like selling their stuff and everything. And, and, but every time I try to put myself into, into this mindset, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to think about, uh, doing stuff to sell or doing stuff that's going to appeal directly mm. to the public or doing stuff that's, um, that's easily accessible and up, um, to the mind. I prefer to do like maybe a little more like difficult or indie or underground, like all those words always like, yeah. there's always so much stuff to put in those words, I guess. But uh, um, yeah, I guess my idea, it's very ideal. I guess I'm, I'm also in this idea of like, I kind of want to get out of this world in a way, yeah. you know, like kind of want to like break free from capitalism and everything. Like a lot of people today want to break free from it. So Creation is also a way of like finding a, some kind of like a, a breathing place in that and try to fight against the fact that it becomes commodified more and more and more and like everything. Mm. So uh, let's break down this um, idea of commodification and such. I know we, we discussed on the show like um, ideas of like how, you know, convenience and how dismantling convenience and dismantling how um, 
you know, the idea or, or kind of trying to shift the value away from just, you know, ease to into into more value-based systems mm-hmm. of thinking um, where we can really have honest connections and, and honest, uh, honest value for value. But how do you understand, like, or the effect or the idea of how things have been commodified? In other words, you're saying that, Kind of going for mass appeal or going for like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of creating just just a monetary value on art as opposed to it's, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, There, there's that. But, you know, like there's also, for example, like all mm-hmm. the like exhibitions you see right now that are kind of like tailored for Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. like it's always this thing like it has to be flashy and it mm-hmm. has to, yeah, to be this thing that's very direct. People are going to share and that's going to like create a buzz and and. Um, I think we need to find like the long term again, we need to find like, you know, patience and something that maybe like demands uh, a little like mental exercise from us to really like mm. get into a piece. And uh, you were talking about convenience. Uh, yeah. It's like the word that I hate the most. <laughs> I have the feeling. Yeah. Because yeah. because um, everything that that's made for this world to be convenient for us most of the time is actually like by exploiting all the things, all the people mm. or resources or uh, just for our little comfort and and people get so used to that that they have the feeling it's it's like a do like they Mm. they 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 really deserve it and like no it's just society like told you you deserve it but it's it's something else yeah it's also a way in which the system kind of perpetuates this um kind of you know mass production you know Mm -hmm. in other words like it's trying to get you to keep you know, enslaved to this machine that's constantly producing. Yeah. So they, they want you just to make things as, you know, as easy as possible so that you'll just keep going back to their, their, their drug of choice or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, your, it's your thing of, uh, of your high off the, the clock, you know, the clock ticking and, and this idea of pressure and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. of my, uh, one of my favorite authors, and actually you, you asked me to think about a song and like the, the song I want to play. Well, he's French, so I'm, I'm sorry for, uh-huh. French speakers, yeah. but uh, um, his name is Alain Damasio. He's a sci-fi writer. So I'm not a big sci-fi fan at first, but uh, his writing is just so amazing and poetic. And he's really like a word master. And one of his novel called The, the, the Outer Zone really talks about that. It's like a society where everything is really made like soft, you know, and and comfy and practical and easy. And so people don't, they don't even want to question it. Like they don't even want to take the risk of like get, going outside of that to mm. to see something else because oh, like something else would probably be less than what we have, and even if it's more, well, we we good with that. So yeah, yeah it's um, it's in, yeah. There's just yeah, so much to say about that. Definitely, I think that the uh, what we're discussing about the commodification is is kind of feeds into the community because it's kind of something that. You don't have to really think about it. You can just quickly share. You can just quickly repost mm-hmm. or whatever. And then it just it, like a viral thought or a viral like, viral thing. It just infects more and more people. But the necessarily the idea isn't necessarily affecting them or the substance of it is just mm-hmm. a question of passing it along mm-hmm. without allowing it to settle in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we're getting at, that the the danger of not allowing it to take roots, the idea is not to take roots, but rather just kind of passing along like a hot potato, you know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's like... like um you know, like with social media, I have the feeling that when you go into conversations today, like a lot of people are going to talk about the same things mm. and are going to have like the same lines from the same articles. Mm. They're going to like, 
Um, so, you know, it's good because, of course, we're learning a lot. Also, I have the feeling uh, internet and all that, like, brings us a lot of knowledge. And there's probably a lot of stuff that I, I wouldn't know without mm. without this. But it's also kind of like the the trade-off. Is that what you say? It's yeah. Kind of like, yeah, your mind. Like, so I, I teach French and I see really, like, a lot of my students struggle to take the time to really, like, learn by heart and have, like the knowledge sink in and, and not just like the language, but also like the culture and the, the way of thinking that you kind of have to like understand when you learn another language. And it's, it's, it's hard. And they're all like, Oh my God, I have the feeling I've lost my capacity of, of really like deeply learning again. It's like, it's, 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 it's harder than what, than what it used to be. I have mm. a feeling. So let's go into some of the major, uh, philosophies or books or anything you want to bring up that, um, have it have an impact on you? I guess we can talk first about uh, philosophical systems and such, and then uh, go into some specific artifacts that have had an impact on your, uh, so that people also, the audiences can then investigate, you know, some of these ideas and, mm-hmm. and all these kind of stuff. So uh, why don't you tell me, like, what, what, are, the, what, are, what are the major, um, well, first of all, growing up, what was something that you influenced and then, and then moving to today, yeah. Um. Hmm. Growing up, I guess my first really like um, memory of like any philosophical thing was like actually this book, my my, which is very famous in France called The World of Sophie, which is like an introduction yeah, to yeah. philosophy. Yeah, yeah, you probably know it. Yeah. And um, um, well, it's kind of interesting because my 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 brother is a philosopher, and like there's like this this idea of like philosophy is like a thing that we learn at school. So I was already like very curious. I was always very curious about it. Um, but then of course I went to art. So I went to more like philosophy of art and uh, I had kind of uh, the first time I read the spiritual and art by Kandinsky. It was like, um, I don't know, like a whole world open uh, before my eyes. You know, you know, this feeling when you're reading a book and you really feel it like mm. touching something that you, you kind of al- always knew. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about like a few things, but he's talking about the what he called the uh, eternal art, artistic. I don't really know how to translate that in English, uh, but it's like basically this idea that like there's an essence to art that has always been there and will always be there. Uh, so we can put definitions on what art is from like cave paintings to like Jeff Koons, but there is always the same thing that initiates that mm. and uh um i really like the idea of stuff that are like timeless and stuff that are, like essential so i guess that really like touched me um and he also talks about the concept of interior necessity which is this thing of like you so you know he was like an abstract painter but so for him creating those shapes and putting those colors was like you have to find something that resonates with uh uh, some some kind of internet necessity of yours, something you, you feel you have to express, um, and it's and it's uh, yeah. So like his whole color and shape theory uh, and all that kind of kind of um, made me approach abstract art in a different way. And I've also been very interested in other kind of arts like surrealism and impressionism, but not really thinking about the history of that, but just of like the 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 visual idea by itself. And it kind of freed me in a way to read him because I was kind of like, well, this thing has always been there. Uh, this like art feeling has always been there. And it's 
um, I don't really have to like fit in in like a style or something. I can, mm. can kind of like just experiment and. Uh, so just yeah. uh, capture what you're saying. Uh, so you're saying that the uh, Kinsky, mm-hmm. the Kinsky theory, or the the thing he presents in his work, or the thesis he presents in his work, is basically that um, you know artistic as art as a practice is 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 regardless of the form it takes is uh communicating a one universal truth or no it's or it's not it, really it, about it's more methodology or yeah i think it's more about the uh, just the action of doing oh, the action oh. yeah you see oh, or yeah. just like really this like um we've been doing art since like forever mm. like the dawn mm, of time yeah. and 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 there's not really a big difference between what, when when you just look, even if we don't really know what was going on and where mm. it came from, but when you look at a cave painting and when you look at a painting today, it's kind of like the same idea of yeah. representing what we see and try to make sense of of reality. And, you know, it's like, what is all this? Like, yeah. like it's... Because uh, I think there's a vast, you know, we were talk, also you were talking a little bit about Dali being mm-hmm. another extreme. So how would you connect, like, you know, some representing... Like literally, like there's realism. There's real. I'm not really quite. I want to get mm-hmm. a little zoned into. So you know, it's like there's realism. We're trying to depict what the eye sees, mm-hmm. and then there's like the more internal landscapes of. And is that a spectrum, or would you say that's part of? Um, um it's interesting. Well, yeah. like for example, Dali is like so. His his um, his pieces are very surrealistic in in, yeah. in shape, but his execution is very realistic. Yeah, like. Everything has a skin, you know, yeah. like the 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 um, the the landscapes are like, yeah, they they almost look like pictures, but then you 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 get closer and you see that it's not it's not real, mm. and it has a um, uh, you know, but like so it's kind of like it's realistic and realistic at the same time, like it's kind of um um uh, it's kind of a thing by itself on its own, like mm. so it's it's put under the name of like surrealistic, but so for example, Kandinsky is seen as abstract, but for me some abstract paintings by Kandinsky are not abstract and they yeah. really like represent things. So um Yeah, it's interesting yeah. to think about like um you know the inner outer inner the outer world and the inner world because you know a lot of times also I mentioned on the show several episodes about how, you know, what we're seeing outside is actually a reflection of uh, you know, the the ancient wisdom of the that what's outer or what's what we're seeing in the outside world is actually just a reflection of what is inside and what's inside mm-hmm. is a reflection, you know, there's a, a definitely uh dialogue there or there's definitely some kind of uh connection between the inner and outer worlds and um you know we think of them being somewhat separate but actually they're they're quite unified. Yeah. And uh in art I think that um my understanding is that we're trying to depict that dialogue we're trying to you know and, and to what extent do we what extent do the artist place an emphasis on what he perceives to be out there and you know, kind of depicting in a way that uh, that that is very you know realistic, as opposed to being very dialogue with that and understanding the subjectivity of mm-hmm. of uh, of our of, of our perceptions. Yeah, yeah, it's so. always like between both, right? Yeah. yeah, and whatever the style is, I have the feeling like impressionism could be seen as realistic painting today. You know, like people would be like, "Oh, it's just a landscape." Yeah, but like for the time, it was it was really like the impression. Of the artist, so I guess, um, yeah, I guess it's always there. Um, I was very touched by uh, some words from my former painting teacher at NYU, John Torriano, mm-hmm. who talked about the the physical space and the social space of art, and as like two different spaces, 
the physical space being the artist in front of their uh, canvas or piece of paper or whatever, and the the viewer just viewing the piece. So that's just like the physical space. And then the social space being everything else, the galleries, the the critics, the the theory, like everything. And he told us that as artists, we should really focus on the physical space of it. And I think that was very interesting because we're really, you know, like we're really always trying to make sense of everything and in art um, even more, especially since like conceptual art became so big, you know, like everything has to really go through like the intellectual uh, filter and um, and I think it's it's kind of interesting to kind of go back to like the feeling filter for it a little bit. Mm, also, you yeah. know, something a little more just uh, just unsayable, like really something that you can't really explain. That's just like, oh, that that resonates with me, or that doesn't resonate with me, um, and it doesn't really. It doesn't have to do anything with like the the inherent value of like a not work, but just really like how it touches you as a person, um, mm. which is so different. Yeah, I think definitely we uh, you, when we form that emotional, we form that kind of allowing it to. That's what that's why I was saying before about allowing the the seeds to be to really take root, mm-hmm. you know, really get in there and, and germinate because we were making that emotional connection with the artistic piece or whatever it is or the artifact whether it be a book or uh, music or uh, whatever artifact we're allowed, when we start, we start to make that personal connection with our own interior landscape, we're allowing those, you know, mind to mind connection, that seeds of thought to really germinate and, and really create something within ourselves and allow it to, um, yeah, to, to yeah, bloom. Bloom. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And it takes time. Mm. Yeah. Really takes time. Yeah, I think if you want like an idea to really change you, like it can't just be like a minute on YouTube or yeah. something. Yeah, you really have to like reflect on it and and apply it to your life. But and it can be, uh, it's not possible to do that with like fifteen new ideas a day. Yeah, you know. So uh, so yeah, long mm. yeah, long time. So I know um, you mentioned Victor Hugo as being a major mm-hmm. uh, writer and thinker who uh, influenced you. So I want to go a little bit into that and. And how, uh, uh, which books, and and which, uh, and in what way? Because I know I, I'd been traveling in Southeast Asia when uh, the Baha'i faith. I saw the temples where they, they mm-hmm. cite him as one of the major yeah. <laughs> major prophets. So he's a very uh, interesting figure who has had a huge impact on on the world, and a lot of people just associate him with the Israel. But yeah, you know, like just anything anything that comes up for you, yeah. Yeah, he's um so you know like Victor Hugo is the kind of author that you 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 study in school uh, in mm. France of course and like you hear about all along. And I actually like really discovered it just a few years ago I bought uh his uh the book the the book of the tables which is some sounds he did when he was on the first part of his exile in uh, in, Jer- in Jersey like the the British islands. And he did some spirit sessions for like two years. And so those are like all the, the notes from those spirit sessions. So you can believe it or not. Like it's not really about that. It's just uh, the the words are amazing. And so he talks with um, different figures like Muhammad and Jesus, but also like poetry and death and and uh, Napoleon, when Napoleon the, the small, when he's sleeping, like other, like it's it's very interesting um but the 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 language was just so beautiful 
and so spiritual and simple at the same time that I, I just, yeah, it just really moved me. Like I had to stop reading at some points because it was actually too, um, too intense. Mm. And, um, and yeah, so from, uh, from there I, I started like translating some of, some of those little things in English and reading them, uh, to my friends. And then I got, I got more into his work. I wanted to learn more about him and his work and his life. So I read uh, The Workers of the Sea and then The Miserables and then Notre Dame de Paris and then The Man Who Laughs that I, I, I finished recently. And I, I really got into his life and really studied his life. And um, so I'm not an expert of any sort. Uh, you can be an expert in Victor Hugo, like an expert in Shakespeare, yeah. you know, like you have yeah. those like people who study him their whole life. Um, to me, it's really this idea that like he represents, so like France 19th century in a lot of ways, he's really like the face of the century. And it's such a very interesting century because usually people think about the French revolution, that kind of like this turning point, but it's actually the whole century was needed for really like the, the, you know, like monarchy to be, um, to be erased, even if it's not totally erased, but, um, um, it took times and other revolutions and other, you know, other like uh, riots, the Paris Commune and everything for, for the idea of like a democracy really, really like rising. And it was very, um, what's very interesting is that he, uh, Victor Hugo really, um, he went from like a monarchist, a conservative monarchist to like almost a non-archist at the end of his life. So he went through like the whole spectrum, uh, the, the whole political spectrum and you can, um, uh, so he like allowed himself to be changed by his experiences. And, and I think he's worked, uh, like his work changed him also. I don't know. I don't really know anything. Like you, you see what I mean? Like I, maybe I, I think I know stuff about him because I feel very close to him, even if he's like just this guy from the 19th century and he would probably not even talk to me, you know, yeah. like, but he would probably be like, oh, you write poem, it's cute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because at this time, like being a woman was very different. Um, but yeah, so there's like this, those like political aspects of him, but also the fact that he was like a writer of a lot of different kinds of things like poetry and fiction and, you know, like uh, political speeches um, and also a drawer, he did a lot of drawings and he was a very good drawer and something that's not well known about him. Um, and he was also very spiritual, but was not really attached to a religion, which is something that really touches me because spirituality is so important for me. It's like something that really guides me. And, um, um, and I think his work is very relevant today, which is very interesting. Like when you hear him talking about like extreme poverty or, um, just in, in general, you know, like how to take care of a people and what, what people in power should do to take care of, of a people and how, uh, justice is corrupted. Sometimes when you, when you, when you see Les Miserables, you can see how, like, you know, he really talked about like power struggles and like the beauty of the soul and what's considered to be good in society versus what's what, what is really the good person. Mm. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's still like a hundred percent relevant today. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, or pulling on thread of the spirituality and such, you cited two books, um, that were very influential besides, uh, the book of tables that people should look up. Um, the Church of uh, St. John by Dali and the Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how these uh, um, 
books influenced you and uh, so it's a, a painting in a book. Oh, it's a painting. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I thought it was a book about the painting. <laughs> no, I didn't I wish. that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it was uh, the the first time I. So it's a painting by Dali uh, yeah. called the the Christ of Saint John, and you you yeah. see a Christ uh, from above. He's looking above at the earth. So he's he's in the sky, and he has his like he's he's on the cross. Yeah. And he's like looking down to earth, and this was the first painting that really struck me. Yeah. Because um, first, so I think it was the first time I saw uh, I I saw like a Jesus that actually seemed alive on the cross, uh, which mm. was kind of new for me. I was raised Catholic, so, you know, it was always, like, suffering and blood and stuff. Um, so this, and also, like, you, just the perspective of it um, was really breathtaking. I don't, I don't really know what to say. It was just very, um, the feeling of it was very, like, <gasps> you know, just a wow feeling. And it's, um, it's like, yeah, one of the rare paintings that really did that to me. Yeah, I always remember the the one where the um, the painting by Dali, where you can, if you step away, it becomes another picture. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. Um, you know, where it's where the perspective becomes shifted mm-hmm. and it becomes like a woman looking out of a. Is it is it the the sculpture was like the the sofa and the, there's like a sofa and a chimney and two um, and two uh, screen prints of eyes. Um, it's like, uh, it's one way in which it looks like there's one, one angle looks like Christ when you go up really mm-hmm. close, but when you go very far away, I think it, it becomes like a woman looking out of a, huh. a window. Huh. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'll tell us a little bit about That's the other one. Let me see if I can look it up. But, okay. uh, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, the, the, um, the prophet, right. That's yeah. That was the one. Um, yeah. so a lot of people know the prophet, especially here. Um, yeah, this book, this book also really, really moved me. My mom gave it to me and you know, I was like, oh, okay, thanks mom for oh, the book. Oh, and then, yeah. I, I got Lincoln and Dolly Vision. That was Lincoln. Lincoln was the one. Uh-huh. You, you see Lincoln going uh, from far away. But then when you come in close, there's a woman looking out at a landscape of Christ in the. Oh, in the, in I, the, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Listen, it, yeah. listen to me. I, I forgot exactly uh, that Lincoln was involved, but yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Delhi yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, man. and how it's like building uh, different perspectives. Go ahead. You were talking mm-hmm. about the prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's fine. Um, so yeah, the the prophet. <laughs> I think it's really worth reading the whole book because a mm. lot of people just read snippets, and it's actually like probably better to read the whole book and it's it's pretty short yeah and it's really like this book is on my you know it's next to my bed and i just read it every time that i need something to ground me and i need to like feel whole again because i feel kind of like shattered by anything in the world what's going on or life or whatever i just read it and it kind of grounds you back to like important things and um uh yeah it's uh it's exactly the kind of poetry that I'm drawn to uh it doesn't it 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 doesn't look far you know it's very simple and it's really talking about the simple human experience but it's also so subtle like nobody else could have written that like there's no cliche in it um it's just beautiful poetic truth um so, you know, like, yeah, the prophet is about like all those kind of different things. Uh, you have like love and death, of course, but you also have like clothes and labor and 
and uh, work and all those things that make the human experience, but described through um, through some through language that makes it um, more than what it is every time. Mm. I really like the way, for example, he speaks about work and say that work is your love for the world made tangible. And I find that so beautiful, like as a vision of what work is, you know, outside of the fact that like uh, in our society, you have to work to make a living and pay your rent and everything. But um, I'm not, I'm not really drawn to the idea of like a society where like we wouldn't work. I want to work, but I want to do my work. You yeah. know, I want to work. I want to co like contribute and work uh, for something that's useful for society. And, and that's so different than just like being in an office and, and, and doing work that's meaningful and meaningless, I mean, uh, to you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a very important difference to make. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of themes like that when he talks about death. Uh, it's really, um, you know, he's saying that like, basically we are afraid of death because it's so powerful. And so we're in front of death, like, uh, like we would be like a peasant in front of a knight that would, you know, like bless them or something. Mm. So, uh, well, of course it's kind of archaic language cause it's old, but yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, also, uh, we were talking a little bit about, um, your writing and such. So why don't we mm -hmm. get a moment to uh, listen to a piece of yours mm -hmm. and you can set it up and then you can read from it and then we can go from there. Sure. So tell us a little bit about uh, where it's coming from and such. Um, so I kind of want to start, um, kind of want to start with this piece that I know has been like touching a lot of people around me. Um, uh, so it's not exactly related to what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's talking about my mom uh -huh. a little bit. Hi, mom. I, I don't think she's going to listen to that, but it's called STEM. I remember walking in the forest with her and stopping every 10 meters to step in another world. The hills moss builds at the tree's feet. The bushes lichen grows on the tree's arms. Treading on the grass in our garden, lush green like a dream, strolling between the white lilies, lilies that were my size, hoping for wild strawberries under the pine, eating the raspberry smell of roses. Sometimes she would take three branches, some leaves and a flower, and create a piece with the Japanese art of Ikebana, this difficult and precise way of recreating nature's unmistakable harmony like a piece of a world crafted by the god in her. It was also mini gardens and straw baskets like perfect places on our coffee table, cactuses on a bookshelf like travels she wouldn't make, potted plants, on another bookshelf, bouquets on another bookshelf, protecting books about flowers, sewing the house with the beauty of growing prayers, bloomings of hope, iris, hortensia, gardenia, dahlia, ficus, bonsai, orchid, and many other names I don't remember. What remains in me is mostly the shapes, the smells, the colors, and 
the rippled petals of upside-down flowers drang behind the kitchen door, hang like sacrifices, their sap expelled, their moist offered to soothe the dryness of his absence. Sometimes I couldn't sleep, and I would walk in the kitchen during the night. The smell of freshly cut flowers, a profile, a focused smile, and sad eyes. Busy ends, never shaking, though longing for the promise he made to take care of her before he just couldn't. So I would grab her arm, hang to her neck, plant my roots in her heart, and turn myself into a flower so she could carry me and call me ma fleur. Thank you, thank you. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. Um... So, yeah, so tell us a little bit about kind of like um, dovetailing off that. I mean, about, uh, you know, like, so tell us a little bit more about the process and, and, and the creative mm-hmm. and, and your writing process and your artistic influences and such. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that, yeah. Um, like, it's interesting. It? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so, you know, like, um, my, my, my artistic process really came from writing, actually, which is interesting. I have the feeling I'm kind of circling back. Yeah. Um, I always wrote, and I think I actually was a writer, like, as, as a kid, I'm not, you know, but I wrote even before I got into drawing, and then I kind of got... Um, I studied, I studied design, you know, I wanted to like, um, to like get out of my parents' house and all that. So like I studied design to get a job fast and I wanted to be in the creative world. And, but I got very frustrated, like working in design. And so I started writing again and through this writing came some drawings, um, that are very hard for me to, um, I'm, I don't know if they go into any style specifically, but are kind of abstract, um, kind of a weird mix of like writing and abstract shapes and also some of probably some Dali influences and landscape influences that I had. So I have the feeling my visual practice is kind of all over the place. Um, sometimes I would show some pieces to people and they would have the feeling I'm a schizophrenic person because I do like stuff in different style, but then they all come together and kind of create a coherence. So it's kind of going back to this coherent eclecticism we were talking about with Post Blank. It's like, I like this idea that I, I can express different things, like different things are going to find different ways to be expressed. You know, you're going to want to express an idea and it's going to be a certain kind of drawing that's going to that's gonna be needed to express this idea. Uh, but then another idea is going to be another kind of drawing. So, for example, I want to I try to do some weird description of an idea of how reality works for me. So it's going to be like some kind of weird machinery. It's going to look like just boxes and lines try to create some kind of of yeah like a weird machine that's what some of my drawing looks like and then i'm going to want to convey something that's that's more um like essential and eternal and i'm just gonna like draw a horizon line and a little boat and that's it Mm. so it can really it kind of goes all over the place um uh, and my writing is also kind of the same way it's like I, I write poems, I write nonfiction and some stories, and it's really uh, me like getting like little pieces of of things and trying to find the best way to express them and not and actually trying to 
um, break free from this idea that you have to have one style and one mm. thing. So uh, most of my art teachers, I do not say all my art teachers, and most of my my teachers in, in my life told me, oh yeah, you, you have to find your thing. You have to find the one thing that you're good at and just keep on doing that. And I've always been like, but why? Why do I have to choose? I think a lot of people are like that today. So also like, it kind of reassures me. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Mm. <laughs> Where a lot of people, you know, so like, for example, Gabrielle Dawn, uh, I just work on her book recently. I help her design her book. And she also does like visual art and performance and all the kinds of stuff. And um, so I guess it's more, it's not maybe a lot about the process because it's always different kind of processes. And sometimes I'm going to experiment processes maybe more about um, what I'm trying to talk about is really like always try to find something divine in the mundane. And I have the feeling it's very cliche to say that. But Yeah, I think um, it was interesting when you were talking, uh, you mentioning in your uh, answers about um, kind of connecting with this about... Um, you know, the uh, book you read this year, We're Birds of the Coming Storm. Oh, yeah. Which have to do with trying to heal, you know, women trying to heal each other mm-hmm. and staying sane um, and true to themselves in a messed up world and how our response to uh, this kind of craziness is to kind of go inward or to mm-hmm. try to heal. And maybe that artistic process is, you know, creating artifacts in that process of healing or a process of reconciling what, what's going on out there and this, yeah. all this craziness and such. So in what, to what extent do you feel that your artistic practice is like a form of healing or a form of, or what, what was that, what is the actual verb? Mm-hmm. What, what was the verb you would use uh, or would you use healing or would you use some other word or, or um, processing or something? I don't know. What would it be? Um, I would say, um, hmm. I'm not sure it's, it's, it's healing for me personally uh-huh. because, um, uh, I have this feeling that I'm always trying to find something that I can say, but that's that's gonna be like beyond the personal. That's gonna touch other people. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm also a little afraid of tackling some like personal things, so yeah. I don't want. Uh, I kind of leave that to like my my therapy sessions. Oh, and yeah. I, you see, and I I try to have my art being on like actually the other extreme of that, and like this thing that would be like as as. Uh, as spiritual as it could be, you know? Yeah. So it's not really like this idea of like universal or yeah. it's really like this idea of like, I want to find what's common to everybody. And like this little string that you can, you can make vibrate in everybody. And that's going to like remind them like, Hey, like we're all, all lost. Basically like we're all trying to figure out what, what is this world we're in? Like, yeah. why are we even here? Um, uh, we're, we're, we're all in this together, of course, but like everybody has their own way to cope with, 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 uh, the weirdness of, of reality. Mm. So I guess it's kind of, um, it's more about that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So dealing with, uh, so tell us a little bit about this book that influenced you, um, where the birds, the coming storm by oh, Lola yeah. Lafon. Lola, Lola Lafon. Lafon. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's an amazing book. Um, I read a lot of books in French because it's kind of my little vacation from English. Mm. Um, she's in, she's a, she's a French author. Um, Has it been translated? Or new yeah. Or? So yeah. it's been translated. Um, actually I read it and it, it really like shook me. I, I gave it as a gift to a friend. I really hope Stephanie, I, I really hope you're going to read that book because I'm, I'm sure you're going to love it. Um, but it's really, um, uh, it's really like, so first, like the, the woman characters 
are so far from any woman character I ever saw in a book. Uh, they're not, you know, they're, there's no man. <laughs> you see what I mean? There's no man in the book. Like, there's no, I mean, there are men, actually, but there's no, uh, you know, this idea that, like, a woman is uh, always seen as, like, you know, the daughter or the 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 wife or the lover mm. or whatever like it's um it's really about them as like individuals um the style of writing uh of this book i think is really what what shook me the most um because it's really like a thread of consciousness you know so it's really like the language unfolding unfolding and you have a sense of urgency uh throughout the whole book like those women trying to heal each other and themselves um, so you kind of learn throughout the book that uh, two of them got raped. Um, one of them got raped in like the, the cliche way, you know, like in a back alley by strangers in the street, like violently. And the other one got raped by her lover. Uh, just, you know, a consent, uh, just a consent, you know, misunderstanding. And so it's kind of like, and so they, they, they meet around that and they, they both try to heal each other and to... Uh, to deal with their anger, uh, the anger that they feel towards those men, but towards like society that didn't recognize, um, you know, what happened. Um, and they meet this, this girl that, uh, we don't know her name at all during the whole book. Her name is the, the little, the little girl at the end of the lane. <laughs> and, and she's just like this very interesting character, like a very sensitive woman, like young woman, um, who speaks a lot about anarchism and especially like certain figures of anarchism and, um, and really trying to stay free and sane. But she's so much into that, that actually her fiance thinks she's insane because she's so obsessed with this idea of like breaking free. And, um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just very interesting. It's kind of like, a visual, uh, a feminine point of view on the on, on this idea of like sanity and insanity and yeah. and and healing and um, um, yeah. Yeah, we talk, also you mentioning about uh, a civic um, school study feminology, a study of being, um, mm -hmm. and a civic work. Um, you know how that how that that, that your interest in this uh, topic. So this kind of connects a little bit with what you're saying. It kind of triggered me the memory of this uh, particular thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'll you, you, uh, guest on, uh, virtual art. You, uh, uh, cited as someone who was, uh, a feminologist you considered, uh, Oh yeah. Influential. And, and what, what was it about? Uh, do you remember anything that in specific, uh, or what comes to mind is, um, being interesting about his take on feminology. I'm um, steady being, yeah. Gaston, Gaston Bachelard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I really, what I really appreciated about Gaston Bachelard is that he was uh, a scientist, like a mathematician by day, mm -hmm. and he was a philosopher by night. So it's always a very interesting relationship between those two ways of thinking. And um, um, yeah, he's he he basically he sees um, he sees reverie and poetry as like a true form of knowledge. Um, so it's kind of like the space between, you know, between, uh, dream and reality Yeah, that is like the place of the imagination and the place where everything is possible and the place where most 
uh, strong ideas are formed because they're not just they're not strictly from science or strictly from philosophy or strictly from one thing or another. They're kind of like a connection of different kinds of knowledge that come together, and that that is really what like what I what I find the most interesting mm. um, in general. Um, he's like really like this philosopher that writes like a poet. So uh, I really recommend his uh, writing to to anybody, especially his writings on matter. He wrote about water and fire, uh, especially, um, and also about you know rev- la- reverie, so like dream, mm. um, but really really reverie actually. Um, and you can also hear him on, on the radio, which is absolutely delightful. <laughs> yeah, and the thought that's coming to me is like how you know we think about. Uh, you know, in some ways, we think about our society is uh, constantly advancing and like, getting more and more. You know, you know, there's a, the traditional viewpoint, the conventional viewpoint of like, you know, society is going, moving away from the um, esoteric. You know, we're becoming more scientific, or mm-hmm. more, you know, um, we're advancing in that sense, or or becoming more logic based, or whatever it is. But the, uh, you know, the the point is that there's some movements towards that kind of a. Uh, thinking mm-hmm. but then you know thinking also the ebbs and flows of how you know there's so much value and so much um you know and kind of thinking about how, where is that bringing us and and we were talking a little bit about the commodification and the commercialization and this machine being produced that's constantly pumping up this product and and keeping us on edge and keeping us uh you know waiting for the next thing and all this kind of stuff and how we can look back to uh we can learn or we can kind of reconnect with this the ancient um this traditional or, or ancient philosophies of like connecting with the dreams and connecting with the, mm-hmm. with the unconscious and, and not never forgetting that and never losing connection to that mm-hmm. and how important it is to be able to uh, connect with, you know, what's going on inside so that then we can uh, kind of see the, see a version or see a, a true perception of our society mm-hmm. because, you know, as if we're just being fed these, you know, lines that we're just constantly repeating, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, we're not making our true connection. We're not really, um, you know, what do you think? Or what yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's like um, uh, a shift that needs to happen. When you think about all the crises, the, the first one is the ecological crisis, you yeah. know, but, uh, well, I guess that you have like all, all the, a lot of other kinds of crises, especially in the U.S. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, we just need like, uh, we just need like it's easy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we would, we were really in like a shift of of the way the way we see the world and the way we relate to nature and to each other. And um, um, I think it's Marx, you know, was talking about alienation a lot and how mm. we're like alienated from nature and, and each other and ourselves. And um, uh, so, yeah, we were talking about like convenience. Convenience, like probably the first way that we're like alienated from like so many things there's so many things we can't do anymore you know like um when i tell people i want to build my my own house one day they look at me like i'm crazy and i'm like you know people used to do that like it's 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 something that's 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 really doable and it's um um and I've, i really wish that we could live in a world where like people would do that you know people would like take their their life in their own hand and and do this kind of stuff and really accept the fact that they can do that they don't depend on um, they don't depend on big corporations to give them, you know, no, if the, the, the most important thing is, is 
the community of people where you are and like the relationship with your environment and the people where you are and uh and how you like build a life together like the small scale thing mm. um i think it's really yeah really where it lies everywhere even in new york like you know like in new york i have the feeling that i don't i don't really know my neighbors you know it's kind of crazy um um and i have the feeling that there would be like a need for more like you know uh, really local local things you know not even just like we're in the same city but like oh who's that person living like right next to me yeah yeah Yeah. Um, you know, even like sometimes people are going to have roommates and like they don't even know their roommates. You know what I mean? It's kind of it, it's kind of uh, uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I'm sorry. I have the feeling I'm going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay, that's okay. So now uh, I just want to give a quick shout outs before we start to wind down. We'll have a few more minutes. But um, Ready for Brooklyn. This is a Truth to Power show. I'm Ready for Brooklyn. Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and pr promote media literacy, education, and free expression. Now, remember that, you know, as a nonprofit, as a community-run organization, we rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation, a monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, every cent helps us continue to stay on air. You can do a monthly donation or you can just do a one-time deal. Um, you can also go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. If you'd be interested in sponsoring this particular show, um, you know, you can just go to sponsor this show and then put in the show code TTP. Um, so now a couple other announcements. Um, so if you're listening to this um, episode and you're like, oh, you know, I'd like to try my hand at a podcast, announce your, uh, go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash podcast studio. Uh, use coupon code TTP again for Truth to Power. Offers good through September 1st. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn is able to generate revenue um, to keep our station on air. And it's by offering affordable podcast recording services. So if you're thinking about starting a new podcast, you just want to do a, a quick one-off, uh, you can look uh, look at readyforbrooklyn.org slash podcast studio, which includes low, uh, low hourly rates, include technician. So you have to do is show up and record. Uh, you get 20% off with that um For your first recording, uh, for, for with that show code. So um, then, also, if you're listening, uh, if you're still listening on the uh, computer for yourself, up by getting the apps by downloading on the iPhone or Android Play Stores, the respective Play Stores. Um, so, any last comments you want to make about uh, sending people anywhere or? Uh, looking up the press or anything like that. So we have uh, we have an, an event this uh, this Friday coming up. We're going to be at Gamba Forest, I think uh, the people. So it's on Humboldt Street in Greenpoint. Uh, it's our it's uh, the first showcase we're doing in a long time now because we've been like working mostly on our magazine. So yeah, uh, please come by. It's going to be fun. It's going to be like our community reading and. Uh, Um, it's really like a lot of amazing artists and a lot of different kind of work, uh, which is always nice. Good, good. So a lot of people have heard um, uh, the Terminator 3 uh, trailer dropped a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it had the song Hunter, which I, I pulled up the, uh, the original version of it. So this is the Bjork uh, original version of Hunter. I love this. I thought we'll go, I think we'll go out with that. Uh, um, So please enjoy and uh, 
what do you call it? Uh, please check out the Truth to Power Show every Monday at 8 a.m. And to look at our archives, uh, please go to readingforbrooklyn.org slash Truth to Power. And check out my, my website, vjrnathan.com, for information about uh, my poetry and about the, more about the show. I'll be doing, since we'll be hitting uh, episode 100 in November, I'm going to be doing like a little bit of a guide to the episodes for new people to navigate the episodes and such. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll also be doing a reading now. The reading that I was supposed to do last beginning of the month ended up getting postponed till August 19th at Forest Hills Library. So at 6.30 at Forest Hills Library on August 19th, the Monday, I'll be doing I'll be reading for the Poets of Queens with Jackie Sherbo. So please join us at Forest Hills Library August 19th at 6.30 to 7.30 and look up poetsofqueens.org for more information. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.